So I had a, a wonderful day yesterday. I'd like to tell you about it because I'm stalling because the text is really rough. My goodness. It's about like speckled and spotted animals. And I come from New York. We have animals in New York, but we keep them in places called zoos. So uh, it's a good rough text. So I'm storing, pray, praying for the rapture before we have to get into the... So yesterday, uh, my... Uh, assistant, uh, Kaki, who I've been with for years and years, got married. And uh, I, I officiated at the wedding, and the Lord was really good. It was outdoor. And later in the day, when it was supposed to be quite a down, downpour and not a drop, it was just really perfect. Things were going well. And John Mark, you know John Mark? So yesterday was quite a day for him. He had um, one funeral and three weddings all in one day. So he charged, he started from morning, went till late at night, and charged over to this wedding. I think this was his third. And he, he was going to sing, and he sang a beautiful song to open with. And then later, I served uh, communion to this uh, couple, newly married couple, a wonderful symbol of their covenant bond, now established with one another, but also with the Lord. So as to communicate their marriage is a three-party proposition. Now, as they individually draw near to the Lord, they are also drawing near to one another. So anyway, great, great thing to do their first Lord's Supper as a married couple. We had a nice table set up. And I usually suggest to couples, if they want me to do this, that uh, before the ceremony, they may want to go out and hunt around for a cup that they could use that would be special to them. It could be silver, ceramic, crystal, and whatever they want. It doesn't have to be expensive, but something that they could use to remind them of their covenant bond and their uh, relationship with the Lord, and they could use it every anniversary, you know, kind of, well, they thought that was nice. So they went out, uh, my secretary and her fiance, and they went out, and as it turns out, they got this beautiful glass crystal, kind of a who knows what, but apparently it was like a two-for-one thing, so they got two for the price of one. So so there, the, there it is, and I'm serving them, and while I'm serving them, just them, John Mark is singing over them. Beautiful. He was singing the Lord's Prayer. It was really, really good. Everyone was so appreciative of the moment until it ended, and people clapped to show their appreciation for John Mark's song, and he backed away from the table and knocked this special with great sentimental value thing shattered in a million pieces on the floor and everyone was just horrified people told me they think John Mark should be brought up under church discipline and you know all we agree I heard people saying well he may be good at funerals but he stinks at weddings you know people it was all this stuff was just unbelievable people were just horrified and so on and so forth but the groom saved the day because he said I have another one and so he went into the house and he got this other one and there it was and we finished the service and I present them as Mr. and Mrs. and people are hugging on him and all this kind of stuff and all of a sudden you hear another glass fall to the floor and break. The maid of honor was Sheila Ball. Do you know Sheila Ball? She backed into the table and knocked off that one. So people are telling me, Stuart, you blew it. Don't you Jews have some crazy custom where you like break glasses at weddings? You should have said it's like a Jewish thing. So here, the reason I bring all that up is to tell you, for our class today, we would like to discuss, do you think it's a bad omen for this newly married couple to have two, not one, but two glasses broken? Wow. 
Okay, good. Way to go, Diane. We'll tell them. Anyway, so that was yesterday. So if you ever invite, you know, John Mark over to the house, hide the glassware. That's what I'm just trying to tell you. Just be careful. Styrofoam is good when John Mark is in your home. Anyway, so that was quite a day yesterday. So we are in Genesis. Let me just piggyback with what Al said. The Christmas party is a big event for us this year. All three of our classes together. It's a family time. It's not couples. It's not singles. It's not old people. It's not young people. It's us. It's our family. It means a lot to us. We don't spend a lot of time together. A couple hours enjoying food and entertainment. Each other's company, as Al said. We would hate to think that someone is reluctant to come because of financial pressures. Please, in all the years in which we've been doing this, that has never been a disqualifier. Don't let it be today. We'll be as discreet as possible. We all go through different times in life, economic times, and we want you to come. So just see the wonderful folks out there and pick up a ticket if you need one, and we'll get together and have a good time in December. Uh, 11, 6 o'clock, cross the street at the youth building. It's a good event. Okay, I've stalled enough. Genesis 30. Here we are. By the way, the contemporary service, well, I guess I am stalling. We've been praying about this for a long time, and we're finally at a point where we just feel so good about this because of the players. You know, you don't have a team unless you have the right players, and God has been so good to us to bring these three young, godly men to us. Uh, uh, Zach Nicholson, just wonderful, wonderful man of God. Wade, tremendous communicator, wonderful personality, great leader. And David Gentiles, our newest worship leader. Some of you have gotten to hear from him as he's filled in on Sundays and Wednesday nights. And he's the most sincere and authentic person. Wonderful song writer, writes the most meaningful songs. So anyway, those three guys are uh, in charge of this service, which will start April 12th. Sunday, 5 o'clock. Why then? We have a parking problem during Sunday mornings. It's a good problem. And we can't add something else right now. Uh, We have parking issues. So Sunday at 5 is a good time because there's plenty of parking on that occasion. We'll start in the hall. And if the Lord blesses and it grows, then we'll move into the the big house, we call it, uh, where the guys could have access to uh, better equipment. So anyway, that's April 12th. And if you would like to, we're going to build a whole iConnect program, child care, the whole deal. It's a full-fledged thing. In fact, we're open to the fact that some may choose that time as they're going to church time. We're absolutely fine with that. We're not, not competing whatsoever. It's entirely uh, up to you. And so if that's your uh, inclination and style, then you're welcome, welcome to do that. All right. Genesis chapter 30, verse 25. Now it came about when Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away, that I may go to my own place and to my own country. Jacob had worked for Laban for his wives. He loved Rachel, worked for her for seven years, um, waited seven years, but had to marry her older sister Leah first, as was the custom of the day. So he's been faithful to Laban all this time. There comes a time in his own life, and it seems to be coincident with the birth of Joseph, when he starts remembering this is not his place. He wants to go back to his own place, his own country, which would be what? I got you quickly here, didn't I? I said, I keep you awake. What is he referring to when he says his own country, his own place? Yeah, Canaan. Canaan, uh, the land of Canaan. Because that's the place where, you know, God brought uh, Abram and said, uh, to him, and then 
confirmed it through Isaac. This is the place I want you to be, and I'm going to bless people through you and all the rest. And Jacob is on board now. He knows that the line of promise, line of redeemer is going to run through his line. And so he, he is now claiming that as, as his country, as he ought to. So he's waiting all this time, and I can show to you that he actually spent 20 years with Laban, not just 14, but 20. If you, if you skip over to Genesis 31, verse 38, it says, these 20 years I've been with you. Your ewes, your female goats haven't miscarried, nor have I eaten the rams of your flocks. He served patiently. Can't accuse him of being impulsive. 20 years. Wants to go home now. So I ask you this question. He's a grown man, right? He's married. He doesn't have one wife. He has two. They got a couple on the side, too. You know, he has those concubines. He's popping out kids like crazy. We read about this last time. He's, he's like a grown man. What's this deal with asking Laban for permission, his father-in-law, to go? What's the deal? Do you, do you, I mean, people don't do that today. You know, your kids get to be a certain age. They get to be adults. They're married and stuff. They respect you, but they're going to do what they they're going to do their thing. That's the way it is. We expect it. So why, why is he be so beholding to, to Laban? Why is he waiting for Laban's response? Why, why did he just leave? Any thoughts on that? I got you here, folks. Man, oh, man, oh, man. I got some thoughts. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. It was a sign of respect for sure. I think that was an element in it. No question about it. Laban being his elder, absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. Any other thoughts? Yes. So that's a good point. There was just a logistical thing. He's going to, you know, he worked for a long time. He needs the flocks. And so they have to talk about logistics and, you know, dividing the flocks and stuff like that. Good, good, good. Yes, Rex. Now, this is a good insight. Rex says he was asking permission to take his daughters away. Remember, Rachel and Leah were the daughters of this guy, Laban. Man, you're all there. Yes, ma'am. Now, that's a good point. An example for us to do the same. Show respect to whoever the senior members of our families are. Or to, oh, our father in that sense. Man, you're way more spiritual than I am. I missed that whole point. That is exactly right. Consult the father. Listen, you're all right. And here's this thought. Um, They discovered something called the Nuzi tablets, N-U-Z-I. It's in uh, what would be modern-day Iraq. A lot of the tablets are tablets on which are inscriptions, and it gives you insight into the practices of the day, the culture. One of the practices was this. The extended family was important, much more so than today. In the extended family, everyone belonged to everyone. So a man's wives actually belonged to, as has been so well pointed out, the father of those, of those girls. You don't make unilateral, independent family decisions. Every ingredient in the family impacts on the other members. So they had a different view of extended family. This still happens in the Middle East today, particularly in uh, Arab communities, for instance. Sometimes when we go to the Middle East, people say, my goodness, uh, Arab houses are always under construction. And it's true for this reason. There's a structure built, and it houses the original family, say the patriarch and matriarch uh, and their children. That's in on the first floor. When the children grow and become marriageable, uh, of marriageable age, let's say they marry, they will bring back their spouses to live in this 
home. But there's no room now on the first floor, so they will begin building the second floor. And they will build as fast as they can finance it. And then if those, if the children who are product of those relationships get old enough to marry, it'll be the third floor. So it's true in many Arab communities, it always looks like a house is under construction. It's not because of disorganization. It's an extended family. It's an appreciation for the extended family that many of us do not have. So it would have been scandalous in this day for Jacob just to depart without making this a family issue. There are enough problems in this family, for crying out loud, they don't need any more dysfunction. And so uh, Jacob does the right thing, shows respect to Laban, and says in verse 26, give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, and let me depart. For you yourself know my service, which I have rendered you. But Laban said to him, If now it pleases you, stay with me. I have divined that the Lord has blessed me on your account. So Laban was blessed because God chose to bless him through Jacob's employment with Laban. But can you look at that verse carefully, verse 27, and tell me how is it that Laban discerned God had blessed him through Jacob. How? Divination. Divination. So divination is man's attempt to squeeze out of the universe its hidden meaning, particularly with reference to the future, so that you don't have to make recourse to transcendent deity who's outside space and time. You can work out some way whereby you can determine the future. Uh, What do you think the Bible has to say about divination? It's a major no-no. In fact, it's referred to as an abomination. Let me read to you, for instance, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 26. You shall not eat anything with the blood, nor practice divination or soothsaying. Divination. Now, you might say this doesn't really apply to me. I'm a modern person. Well, I think every time you consult your horoscope to determine what tomorrow holds, you're engaging in a form of divination. Palm reading, tea leaves. And I'll bring this up because by the third hour, I'm real frisky (laughs) and out of control. Uh, So this will invite... uh, difference of opinion. So I'm not exerting any authority and just sharing. I'm about to just share my opinion about something. You could take it or leave it. I do not like the Harry Potter books. It's just an opinion. Now, it's not that I, I don't dislike them because of their poor literary style. They're brilliant. The author S is gifted, but in darkness, in blind. And you say, what harm is it? I've spoke to one lady who took exception to my opinion about this, and she had every right to. She said it has so stimulated her children's interest in reading. They're reading more now than they're playing video games. But I think between those two evils, aren't there other... I mean, is it only video games or Harry Potter? For crying out loud, there's got to be something else to do, right? Like steal hubcaps or... I mean, I don't know. (laughs) Do something. Those are not the only activities you can give your kids to do. So here's the problem with this series, it seems to me 
it doesn't help kids to distinguish between right and wrong. It seeks to empower them with magical incantations and formulae by which, forget about absolute standards of right and wrong, you could just have, again, you can squeeze out of the cosmos its secrets, and you don't have to make any recourse to the creator of it all. You can get magical incantations. You say, well, no, it's just a harmless children's thing, but then I would say you're naive because this is exactly how the prince of darkness uh, finds his way into our hearts and minds. What do you think? It's going to be in a blatantly repulsive way? It's usually in a subtle way, like children's literature. If I was you, I would exercise close scrutiny about what your children and grandchildren are exposed to. Now, if my kids expose my grandkids to something like that, once again, you know, they're independent agents, but I have a right to throw in my two shekels, and I will share my opinion. So I think it's a form of divination and occultism that's to be avoided. When we take groups to Israel, people want to bring things back as they should. I try to warn them about certain things because they're not good. One, for instance, is just this. It's a hand. Look at that. It's just an open hand. You know, sometimes the thumb is folded. It's called a hamsa hand, which means five, one for each of the five fingers. You can see it on stop signs in Israel. It's just a stop sign. You don't think anything of it. But what it is, it's from Jewish occultic uh, mystical thinking uh, and it's supposed to ward off evil spirits. You see what I mean? Now, I, 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 I believe in evil spirits, so don't misunderstand. Someone told me, Stuart, you're not taking this seriously. Oh, no, no, you, you don't get the point. I'm taking it deeply seriously. Do you know how we take pains to call God in us the Holy Spirit? That implies there are non-Holy Spirits. I know they're there. If Jesus is the source of light, then there's a prince of darkness. If Jesus is the source of truth, then there's a father of lies. And Satan, the prince of darkness, has minions, demons. Those are spirit beings for crying out loud. They're present in the world today. What do they do? They tempt. They deceive. They accuse. They do all kinds of stuff like that. So I surely believe in them. But I don't think you need a magical amulet to put on your doorpost to ward off evil spirits. I think you can thank God for being a temple of the Holy Spirit if you're a Christian. And you can say, oh, God, protect me from things that are out there. You know, Christian, and a better thing I tell people when you go to Israel, if you want to bring back something to hang on a door, get something we call the mezuzah. Mezuzah means doorpost. It's just a thin box. You know what's good about it? It has scripture in there. And it's in keeping with Torah. We call it Torah, Deuteronomy. It says your, going, your comings and goings should be bounded by the word of God. When you go out, when you come in, think of the word of God. That's a good thing. I know certain Christians who say, you know, I have, I have a kind of a regimen in the morning. I do three, three things, always three things. And that, that, that I think it'll increase the probability that I'll have a good day. No, 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 you don't want to be doing that. You know what you want to do? You want to get up in the morning. You want to say, oh, God, thanks for last night. Thanks for letting me sleep. You want to say, thanks for getting me up. Thanks for letting me be with you today. You want to say, God, I don't know what today holds. It could be good, could be bad. But what's good is you hold the day. You could use all stuff for good. God, I'm not concerned about you. I'm concerned about me. I would like to walk through the day in, the, in a way that's pleasing to you. I may not, but I want to. Would you provide ways for me to put you on display? I want to do that. And if you see fit at the end of the day, it would be great to come back with you and let me thank you for what happened 
today. That's a good way to start the day, for crying out loud. But all magical amulets and superstitious behavior. I would watch out about these. I mean, it's very prevalent today, so our uh, discernment has gone way down. The shows on TV are unstinking believable to me. Witches, covens, and all this kind of stuff. When I was a kid, we used to think that's like not good stuff. Now it's apparently acceptable stuff. Why? We have a craving for power apart from the power source. I don't want a relationship with God that makes me have to bow before him when I can be my own God. So listen, does divination work? Yeah, it worked for Laban. He actually found out that the reason why he's prospering is because God is blessing him through Jacob. He found that out through divination, for crying out loud. That's why it's so habit-forming. It works. You say, how does it work? Because there's a supernatural reality out there, for crying out loud. Listen to me. The, your best protection from what's out there is to be um, a temple of the Holy Spirit and not to be influenced by that which is unholy and evil out there. So anyway, Laban does this divination deal, although he could have noticed quite obviously that he's being blessed because Jacob is working for him, which leads me to this. Uh, every employer who employs a Christian ought to be blessed by having that Christian there. Everyone. It seems to me one of the best ways we can make a mark for God's glory on the, on the marketplace is by being the best employee in the marketplace. And frankly, it's easy today because there are so many subpar employees. For instance, you get sick days. I thought sick days are meant to be used when you're sick. But many employers say, I haven't used up my sick days. Use it or lose it. So I will call in sick. You just stole a day from your employer. Um, I used to tell my boys when they were young, you know, guys, sadly... You don't really even have to be that good at what you're going to do today in order to rise to the top. All you got to do is be reliable today. All you got to do is show up at work when you're supposed to. Be dressed the way you're supposed to be dressed. Do not leave work before you're supposed to. Do what your boss wants you to do. That's all you got to do. Just doing that, you'll stand out. I remember speaking to some human resource professionals who were friends of mine. I said, what's the biggest dilemma you all face today? Um... They say, well, here's the deal. We publicize a job opening and uh, you know, a crowd of people come and apply and they express enthusiasm and all the rest. And then we give the job and then they don't show up. He says, our biggest, he said, we offer way beyond minimum wage, company benefits, training, promotion, all the rest. Our biggest challenge is um, retaining reliable employees. And they were saying, the skill level is not even the deal. We can give people the skills. It's a matter of character. That's what they said to me. Folks, you may be a sheepish evangelist, a little reluctant to tell others about the Lord you know, but one of the good ways to do it is be a good worker and put God on display. Have people notice you are going about the duties of the day differently than they are. For instance, watch, what do we call these, water cooler conversations? Look at everyone here knows the world is um, troubled, unstable. Everyone knows it. Um, and you and I as Christians have every right to take our concern, fear, all the rest, to him in prayer. 
or to one another. We can talk about these things. But in the workplace, I think we should be very, very careful about cynicism because we're claiming to know the God of all hope. The Bible says, uh, be ready to um, answer a question asked about the hope that is in you. If people in the workplace see us to be as negative and hopeless as they are, then they don't see any hope in us. Why would they ask us about what makes us tick? I didn't say fake it and put on a happy face. I just said, remember the sovereignty of God. If you believe he uses all things for the good, if you believe he's coming again, if you believe he'll make all things new, if you believe he's in control, you can be different in the workplace. So folks, the deal is a paycheck for an honest day's labor. And just doing that, which you would think ought to be expected of everyone, can distinguish a believer from a non-believer today when everyone is trying to cut uh, cut corners. So I would be very, very excited about the opportunity God has given us to put him on display simply by blessing the place where we work, by being the best employee we could possibly be so that we could say, as Jacob did, you yourself know the service I have rendered to you. So that is a very, very important thing. Now, if you're a good worker, you may get a promotion, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something more important than just the job because I don't think God cares that much about what particular job we have. I think he cares about how we make use of the job. It's a platform to put him on display. That's the only reason for it. That is it. It is a field of ministry and mission. That's what the job is. If you have one that's satisfying, isn't that wonderful? But that's not required. Because in good times and bad sickness and health, satisfying and unsatisfying jobs, we can still put God on display. We can still glorify him in our countenance, our attitude, our efficiency, our reliability, our faithfulness. Folks, we ought to be the best workforce known to humankind so that people say, what makes you tick? And then we say, let me tell you about the God who has inhabited my life and changed me enormously. You see what I mean? So, okay, Jacob pulled this off. So now verse 28. That was like a sermon, wasn't it? Yeah, that was like, like a, that's like an actual sermon. Holy moly. I feel like we should take up like an offering. And like make it real authentic. Okay, so verse 28. He continued, uh, Laban said, name me your wages and I'll give it. But he, Jacob, said to him, you yourself know how I've served you and how your cattle have fared with me. For you have had little before I came. It, It has increased to a multitude and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turn. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? So he said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this one thing for me, I will again pasture and keep your flock. Let me pass through your entire flock today, removing from there every speckled and spotted sheep and every black one among the lambs and the spotted and the speckled among the goats and such shall be my wages. And you're Laban hearing this. And Laban is going, are you kidding me? I won the lottery. What a deal. Laban is saying, what, what possessed Jake? 
Jacob, I know, Jacob is smoking too many mandrakes. What's up here? Jacob lost his mind. You know why? Everyone there, including Laban, knew sheep were almost always white and goats, mostly black or dark brown, spotted, speckled. Are you kidding? That's an aberration. Jacob said, that's all I want is my wage. Laban is thinking, you got it. You're kidding me. I died and went to heaven. What is so you say, what in the world is Jacob up to? He's a smart guy. What did he, this is such a weird kind of a deal. Where, where, did, he, where did this notion pop into his brain? Well, for the answer, you've got to skip with me to Genesis 31. Genesis 31. Take a look. Beginning in verse 10, you'll see what's going on. Genesis 31, verse 10. It's a recording of a dream. Jacob had. Here's what it says. It came about at the time when the flock were mating that I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream. And behold, the male goats which were mating were striped and speckled and mottled. And then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. He said, lift up now your eyes and see that all the male goats which are mating are striped and speckled and mottled for I've seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I'm the God of Bethel where you anointed a pillar, where you made a vow to me. Now arise, leave this land, and return to the land of your birth. You know where Jacob got the idea about the spotted speckled stuff? It was in a dream provided by God in which an angel spoke to him and told him to do this. So what had no resemblance to logic or anything was something God chose. God said, Jacob, I'm going to choose this as the means by which you will be prospered before I send you back to the promised land. It has no appeal to your intellect, to your, it just defies human reason. Do it anyway. In so doing, God has now given Jacob an opportunity to trust him. Jacob has to trust God. What a kind of a goofy plan for crying out loud. All this spotted, speckled stuff. Jacob has to take advantage of the opportunity to trust God, even though he doesn't fully understand him. So that's, that's what's going on. So verse 33 He said, my honesty will answer for me later. When you come concerning my wages, everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, will be considered stolen. Laban said, good. Well, yeah, good. Let it be according to your word. And so he, Laban, here's what he did. He removed on that day the striped and spotted male goats and all the speckled and spotted female goats, everyone with white in it and all the black ones among the sheep, And he gave them into the care of his sons. And he, Laban, put a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob. And Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. Here's what shrewd Laban did. He thinks he's really out-tricking the trickster, Jacob. He says, okay, deal. And so he has his sons, Laban has his own sons, uh, uh, take all the spotted and speckled livestock and move them a three days' journey away. Why? That way, Jacob can't claim them as his own. All the spotted and speckled ones that Jacob wants to claim as his own have to be produced from point A. Jacob, uh, Laban takes the existing ones, puts it in the possession of his sons. They move it away from Jacob's flock three days. So Jacob is not tempted. Uh, so the flocks don't intermingle. Laban is really playing this, I'm telling you. So verse 37, Jacob, now get this. Are you ready to enter Bizarroville? 
Here it is, ancient Bizarroville. Jacob took fresh rods of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white stripes in them, exposing the white, which was in the rods. He set the rods, which he had peeled, in front of the flocks in the gutters, even in the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink. And they mated when they came to drink. So the flocks mated by the rods, and the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. So part A of Jacob's plan was this. Somehow he imagined there was some prenatal influence on the mating sheep if he put poles, uh, stripped off poles with, you know, white stripes on them, sticks them in the watering trough. When the animals come to mate, they'll see this. And somehow that prenatal impression will affect the outcome of the offspring. I'm reading it to you, folks. It's right here in the Bible. <laughs> I did not write this. But then it, it gets even crazier. Verse 14, Jacob, he does something else now. He separated the lambs and he made the flocks face toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. And he put his own herds apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. So the second thing he does, the first is the poles. The second deal is uh, to segregate the flocks. So the striped and speckled and spotted, which belonged to him, were put off by themselves. And the rest, they were faced towards those animals which were either striped or, or black, kind of like, uh, you know, the, mate, the other mating animals will get the idea and pop out spotted kids or something. So this was, first you got the you got this, then you got the poles, and then verse 41. Moreover, there's more, as if this isn't enough. Moreover, whenever the stronger of the flock were mating, Jacob would place the rods in the side of the flock in the gutters so that they might mate by the rods. But when the flock was feeble, he didn't put them in. So the feebler were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. So kind of a form of selective breeding. He noticed, you know, strong ones... Distinguished them from weak ones, had the strong ones look here, the weak ones look away. I mean, crazy sort of stuff. And get, guess what? It worked. Verse 43, so the man, that's Jacob, became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. Yep. So if you ask Jacob, Jacob, what a cool deal. How'd you pull that off? Jacob would say, oh, shucks, it was nothing. It's just a little something I've, I did. You know, I don't want to brag, but I'm like the pole guy. I, you know, I, I know how to do this thing. And it's just a little something, I don't know, it just popped into my brain. And, oh, let me not forget. <laughs> God helped a little bit, too. That's what it was going. You know, and, and I, you, you sort of couldn't argue with Jacob because, I mean, it was successful, right? It worked. So Jacob would equate success with spirituality, just like we're prone to do. It was successful, therefore he must be spiritually approved. But I'm going to show you in a little while, God didn't approve this at all. This was sheer and utter nonsense. It was hocus pocus. I'll show you in just a second. But sometimes we make this false connection. If, if something I do turns out right, it must be because God has granted me success. No, it could be that God, in spite of you, is taking care of you. I mean, I, because the world is filled with a lot of successful people, right? But they're not very spiritual. 
And there's a whole lot of deeply devoted followers of the Lord who don't have a great measure of success at all. In our first hour, we had this cute little gal. She's on staff here, works with the kids. She sang for us. She said, let me tell you why I chose the song I'm going to sing for you. This week, our house was broken into. We were robbed. And also, my husband found out he lost his job. Therefore, I want to sing for you, It Is Well With My Soul. Huh? So there's a kid. Um, she's a young woman, a married woman, four kids. To me, she's a kid. But, but anyway, she has kids of her own. Anyway, uh, here is someone who ha- it, it does not have a large measure of the world's prosperity and success. You might say she's a failure. But spiritually, she's a devoted follower of the Lord. You see how we can't equate the two we can't equate the two, the two things. Jacob would be prone, would be prone to, to do this. The techniques he employed, however, I would like to share with you, were hocus pocus. It was, was just sheer and utter nonsense. From a physical point of view, natural point of view, Jacob's schemes were absolutely to no avail because they operated on this assumption, and, on an assumption that's scientifically erroneous. There is no prenatal no farmers in that day or this day do that. You know what I'm talking about? I want a spotted sheep, so I'm going to have these other critters mate in front of a spotted pole. There's just no, it's not borne out by, by practice nor by, by science. And so the techniques he used were predicated on, on visual impressions at the time of conception and that those visual impressions would affect the outcome at birth, which is absolutely not true. Uh, folks, he thought the peeled poles, this was his device, stratagem, he thought they would produce striped offspring, but that's sheer and utter nonsense. I must tell you, Jacob did not prosper because he pulled one over on Laban. Jacob's success was not the product of his schemes, no more than Rachel's pregnancy was the product of her mandrakes. Remember, Remember that? No way. What's it the product of then? It's the product of a sovereign God who keeps his word in spite of us. What word? Well, there was another dream God gave Jacob. Apparently, he forgot about it. Jacob forgot about it. It was given 14, 15, 20 years earlier than this. It's recorded in Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28. Verse 10. Jacob departed from Beersheba. That's when he was running away from Esau. He went toward Haran, came to a certain place, spent the night there because the sun had set. He took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down at that place. He had a dream. Behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I'm the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I'll give it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. The reason why it worked out for Jacob has nothing to do with poles and spots and stuff. It has to do with God keeping his word. God told him earlier on when Jacob was on the run, you're going to a place which is not yours. I will bring you back to this land one day. I will be with you wherever you go. I will do this because I've made a promise and I keep my word. And Jacob 
missed the point and thought his success and prosperity was due to him taking care of himself. He didn't see that it's all due to the faithfulness and promise of Almighty God. Now, what Jacob thought was the reason for his success, you know, the striped poles and all that, is sheer and utter nonsense. I'll tell you what really, really happened. Will you go back with me to Genesis chapter 31? Once again, we read uh, the account of the dream Jacob had, but I want to call your attention to something easily missed. Look at Genesis 31 verse 10, and you'll see the explanation for how what happened happened. Verse 10, Genesis 31, and it came about at the time when the flock were mating, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream, and behold, the male goats, the male goats, which were mating, what was true of the male goats who were mating? They were striped, speckled, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, I said, here I am. He said, lift up now your eyes and see, here we go again, that all the male goats which are mating are striped, speckled, and mottled, for I've seen all that Laban has been doing to you. Do you know why spotted, speckled critters popped out? It's because of this principle, like father, like son. <laughs> the dads... The males who mated with the females were all spotted and speckled to begin with. Folks, it's called genetics, built into the system by almighty God who's a God of order. There's nothing hocus pocus crazy. Let me get this dumb sheep to look at this striped thing and pop out the kind of, you know, offspring. It had nothing to do with that. Jacob read all that into it. Jacob is saying, God, what a cool plan, but maybe I should help you a little bit. This is simply Jacob helping God out. That's all. But God needed no help. All of Jacob's plan. You know how much time it must have taken to strip these poles and stuff? It was a waste of time, man. He could have been watching American Idol or something important <laughs> during these days. For crying out, this is just how we go. We know in the back of our mind God is there. He redeemed us. He'll provide for us. And then we, sit, and then we come down to earth. You know, he's given us a dream, a vision of provision and protection. And then, we, then the dream is extinguished. We come down to the realities of earth and we say, God is the great beyond. He's not concerned about my daily experience. I got to take care of myself. I got to fend for myself. And what happens is if it works, then we say, here's what we say. I'm God. Mm, I really don't have to wait on God, depend on God. At trust God. I pulled it off. I got my speckled sheep, but it had nothing to do with anything he did. Now, listen, in, in a sense, God's given us a, a dream as well. He said, he said, think about this. One day, uh, he, he said, by the way, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you anymore than I did, Jacob. I mean, wherever you travel, I'm going to be with you. And, and then he said, but there's going to be a day when I'm going to bring you to your place of promise. Y'all will be gathered around the throne, worship, undistractedly. It's going to be beautiful. You'll see me face to face. I'm going to welcome you home, just like we're kinfolk. And in that day, God, this is like a dream. God says there's not going to be any mourning or crying or pain. There's not going to be any illness or death. You know what? There won't be any tears shed from loss. There will be no loss. 
You know, people breaking into your home, people losing their jobs. That's not going to happen. God, it's going to be heavenly. God, there's not going to be darkness. Just my presence will illuminate things. You're going to live forever. That's going to happen. And then it's a dream. You know, it's just magnificent. It's just wonderful. God said the first reality is passing away. I'm making all things new. We love that. We love the dream. Then we wake up. We come down to earth and we become Jacob. And then we say, oh, now I got to take care of myself. I got to worry through the night. I got to work this plan. I got to work that plan and all the rest. No, 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 no. If God bought us with a price, and what a price, my goodness, the sacrifice of his own son, he is responsible for us. You know that couple whose home was broken into and the man who lost his job? Listen to me. God is responsible for them. I began to pray, oh, God, would you replace his lost job with one even far better? But don't do it as a result of his cool resume. You know, got all the commas in place and stuff like that. Don't do it because he knows somebody. Would you please provide something for him that's so clearly from you? He gets not only a job, but a fresh vision of the fact you are with him. You are for him. And may he tell others how he got the job, that kind of thing. So whether it's good times or bad, we can still put God on display. Sickness and health, we can still put God on display. No matter what, our calling is to bring glory to his name, and we could do it. And so he will, the Father, will allow us to go through ups and downs so that even in the downtime, we can find him to be faithful. It's no big deal to be a faithful follower of Jesus on the mountaintop. Everyone wants to be there. It's in the valley. It's in the desert that our faith is really tried. Do we believe God will be for us even during those times? Or do we start saying, well, no, I got to work this out. I got to do that. I got to take care of myself. I can't get to sleep at night. I got anxiety. I've been doing all this kind of stuff because I have to take, no, 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 no. So what's this all about? It's not about spotted stuff. You know, it's about human nature. Uh, look, at, look at the humans God has to work with. Do you know this is the line of Messiah? <clears throat> it's through this line that the whole plan of redemption was brought forth. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all these people, Rachel, all these people, they are flawed human beings. God does not have much to work with, and they're just like us. This is just, this is just a, a reflection of human nature. At our best, we're not so hot, but at our worst, we see the other side of the coin, divine nature. When we're at our worst, God is at his best. And he's going to take a guy like Jacob, bring him right back to the place of promise, make him fulfill the covenant, change his life, transform him, and ultimately the Messiah himself is going to come from this particular line. And we are in the line of Messiah by faith. I'm telling you, folks, we're not on our own. We don't have to fend for ourselves. And in this day and age, when everyone is freaking out, we have just got to remember the dream. It's not diminished when we come down on earth. We're just traveling now for a spell until the dream, until the dream takes full form, comes to full consummation at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we bask in the presence of our Lord and Savior forevermore. And now we have to act as if the dream is a reality. We didn't get it by divination. We got it by revelation. God is a God, not of secrets. You don't have to, that's why I'm nervous about all these secret societies and organizations, you know, with secret handshakes and all this stuff. For crying out loud, God doesn't keep secrets. He's a God who reveals truth for crying out loud. And so until 
So what we know about God is not hocus-pocus, divination, occultic stuff. It's by written revelation, 66 books, and the dream is a reality. He will make all things new. He'll never leave us or forsake us. He will cast all our sin behind his back. No matter what we're going through, we're still his sons and daughters. He's still our father. He loves being a dad. He can use everything for good. And he wants even the bad times to be times when we put him on display. As he was with Jacob, so he is with us. Why? Because he never changes. That's why. Pretty good stuff, huh? Pretty good stuff. Good to be a Christian. It's not good to be religious. I'm not into religion. Are you into religion? No way. But this relationship with a transcendent deity, oh my goodness, that's worth everything. Lord Jesus, we're grateful for what you've done for us and are doing and will do. Uh, Lord, your word tells us the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may observe all the words of this law. What we need to know, therefore, you have told us. We don't have to squeeze secrets out of the universe. No magic, no incantations, none of that stuff. Just submitting to what you've already told us in the Bible. And thank you, oh God, that you've given us this wonderful, wonderful illustration of human nature and divine nature in Jacob's life, and the same is true with us. We are flawed human beings just as he is. But when we're at our worst, you're at your best. And you will bring us forth and accomplish your purposes in us and through us for your glory. We're grateful for it. Help us, oh God, until the dream becomes a reality. Help us to put you on display in the workplace and in all places. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you folks. Look at this. Ten minutes early. What are we going to do with all this free time? And Alan is saying something. Oh, the tickets for the Christmas event. Please avail yourself of them right back there. Catered by Zio's Good Italian Food.